Good morning, Elevation Church. How's everybody doing today? Yeah, great. All right. You guys are awake. I love it when you get caffeinated. We need to make more coffee, Jim. Note to self, more coffee. We make more coffee. You guys drink more coffee. You get more caffeinated. You're ready to hear what God has to say. I love it when that happens. We're kicking off a new series uh, this morning, a new teaching series that is um, kind of a heavy topic. It's kind of a I don't know about that, kind of dark and sometimes a little creepy and sometimes we don't quite know what to make of it. When we start talking about spiritual warfare, start talking about the supernatural, sometimes it gets a little, I don't know. But I want to let you know there are really, as Jim just said in his prayer, there are really supernatural battles being fought each and every day. There is supernatural stuff in the spiritual realm that happens all the time, and it's important that we understand this and that we gain some some concept of what's happening because these battles affect us. This war that's being fought is is about us in a lot of ways. And so I want to share today and over the next several weeks with all of you some of the things that God has shared with me about what's happening in the supernatural world, in the spiritual world. Before we get into all of that, though, I want to I preface this with a couple of things. There are kind of two extremes. It's kind of like everything in life, right? There are two extremes, then there's kind of that, that area in the middle. And in a lot of things in life, I avoid the middle. I figure you ought to either be hot or be cold, be extreme in this way or extreme in that way, because a lot of times the middle ground is really not the desirable place to be. It's kind of a mushy, uh, non-committal kind of a thing. And we start talking about the spiritual. I, I, there's a couple of, of extremes that I think are worth pointing out because neither of these extremes are actually where you want to be. One extreme is it's like the bury your head in the sand ostrich approach to the supernatural, right, to spiritual warfare. If I just pretend it isn't happening, if I just keep myself ignorant, if I don't learn anything about it, then maybe it won't affect me. Right? If I just deny, 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 then I don't have to deal, deal, deal with it. That is one extreme of how we can deal with spiritual warfare and with the supernatural. On the other end of the spectrum, the other extreme is the demon behind every bush person. Now, if you have lived in the Bible Belt for very long, you have probably encountered a demon behind every bush kind of a person. Everything that goes bump in the night, everything that goes wrong in your life is ascribable in some way, form, or fashion to Satan or demons. And you're constantly looking behind every bush for the next bad thing. And whenever something goes wrong, you're pointing the finger and Satan did that and the demon made me. But you know what? Sometimes you just screwed up. That's just the reality of it. Sometimes things go wrong in your life because you just made a bad decision. There was no demon involved. The devil didn't even have to do anything. You just did something. And you got a negative consequence. That's life. We can't live at either one of these extremes when we deal with the supernatural. In one extreme, you completely deny it, completely try to hide from it, pretend it isn't there. You know what, if you've ever tried to pretend something bad wasn't happening, most of the time you find out that the bad results, bad consequences still come home to roost. On the other end of the spectrum, you try to pretend like, or or don't even pretend, you just believe that everything is demonic and and, and supernatural and, and spiritual warfare, then you never, ever rest. You don't have any ease in your life. You also don't have any personal accountability for your own decisions. Neither of those two extremes is biblical. 
Okay, So I want to preface our whole series on that. You can't live at either of those two extremes. It is important that we do acknowledge that spiritual warfare is real, that the supernatural realm exists, and that what happens in it affects us and matters to us. We'll talk about that today. We also have to realize that not everything is demonic or uh, of the devil and not every bad circumstance or consequence or negative thing in life is his doing. So I think, it's, I think it's safe to say, and I bet you guys would all agree with me, there's more to life than you can see. There is more to this life than you or I can take in with our eyes. We've all experienced things where you couldn't really explain it, couldn't, couldn't really figure out what happened or why or who was responsible. There's, there's more then we can see, like, God equips us with eyeballs, right? We have these physical organs, our eyes, and these eyes are amazing things. Biologically speaking, very intricate, amazing what they do. The lenses, the rods and the cones, if you get into the biology of, of the human anatomy and, and figure out how all this stuff works, it's amazing, God's handiwork. Our physical eyes are really incredible, but they only allow us to see the physical world around us. They really only allow us to see what is natural. For instance, if you look around this room right now, you can see here at Studio B, we have red carpet on the walls. We have black paint up high. We have a brown floor down here. We have a really cool new set with all this camouflage up here to kind of go with our theme of spiritual warfare. Some of you don't think it's really cool. That's okay. You don't have to think it's cool. I think it's cool because I'm a hunter and I'm a guy and camo and dirt is cool. And if you're not down with camo and dirt, it's going to be a tough couple of weeks for y'all. But if you can get okay with camo and dirt and, and love our backdrop, you'll, you'll get past that and really listen to what God has to say. But that's what your physical eyes can see. You can see me. You can see light. You can tell when there's an absence of light in the dark. But you can't really see beyond what is natural. That's what our eyes see, the natural world. The problem with that is because we can see so well, many people have taken uh, the, the stance that seeing is believing. We've adopted this, this belief that seeing is what it's all about. If I can't see it, it doesn't exist. It goes back to what I said a few minutes ago about living at that one extreme where if I can't see, if I just bury my head in the sand and pretend spiritual things don't happen, supernatural warfare isn't going on, then it isn't. No, it doesn't work that way. There's more in this life than we can see. We need to acknowledge right off the bat that this supernatural world exists beyond our ability to see it. And it can't be a, a seeing is believing approach. We can't have that approach to spiritual things, to supernatural things, because we're rarely going to see what's actually going on around us. We see the physical world. But parallel to this physical world, there exists a spiritual world, the supernatural world. It's a world that's inhabited by supernatural beings, angels, demons, the devil. Ooh, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. But the truth is, they really do exist. And they're waging war, doing battle. They've been doing battle since the beginning of time. And, and, and this is going on all around us. It can be happening anywhere at any time. It's not happening everywhere all the time. Again, not a demon behind every bush. But it can happen anywhere, anytime, and you can't see it. 
So we have to acknowledge right away that we have eyes to see the physical, but we don't have eyes to see the supernatural. The supernatural world, though, is very real and it's very relevant. These spiritual battles, this war that's waging, it affects your life. It affects your today. It affects your tomorrow. And it affects your eternity. So if all of this is going on, and we're talking about the supernatural, we're maybe breaking down some barriers right now, we're maybe getting a few of you guys a little curious, maybe you're a little wary still, it doesn't, you know, that's cool, I'm, I'm okay with that. You can be wary about all of this. You can be a little curious. You can, you can even be a little standoffish and not sure what I'm talking about. That's okay. Stay tuned because today we're just going to kind of unpack the reality of that supernatural world and why it's important that we understand that these supernatural battles matter to us. They matter because they affect you right now, they affect you tomorrow, and they affect you eternally. And because these battles have an effect in your life, even though you can't see the combatants, even though you can't jump in and wield a sword and join the battle per se in that spiritual realm, you need to know what's going on. You need to be able to participate at whatever level you can because it impacts you. So today, I want to talk about how God has armed us to deal with spiritual warfare. And maybe you're scratching your head a little bit right now trying to think, well, wait a minute. If it's taking place in a parallel world, a, a, a parallel existence, this supernatural, I live in the natural, it's happening in the supernatural, it affects me, but I can't really get involved in it. What, what, what kind of armament could I possibly have? Well, the reality is, while you can't see the combatants and you can't physically join in that battle on that plane, God has armed you so that you can defend yourself and so that you can even attack and participate in this world with what happens in that. It's a crazy thing. It's one of those things that might be beyond my understanding, and, and, and because it's beyond my understanding completely, I may not be able to convey it completely to you, and that's why it requires a little bit of faith on your part. To believe in something you can't fully prove, that you can't fully see. But let's go to the Word of God. Let's stop relying on what Todd has to say. Let's open the Bible. Let's find out what the Bible has to say about spiritual warfare. And the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, and he addresses this topic in, in what we know as 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you don't, that's okay. The verse will pop up on the screen in just a second. It's probably already there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. Let's find out what Paul says to the church in Corinth about spiritual warfare. Uh, verse 3, Paul writes, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Paul's instructing the church in Corinth that, hey, yes, we live in the physical world, the natural world, but the supernatural world is real, it's relevant to you in your life, and you have weapons to fight in this war. Not weapons that you're necessarily familiar with. Like Paul's saying to us, I mean, back then it would have been they couldn't fight with clubs and swords, right? That wasn't going to do him any good. A sling wasn't going to take out a demon. 
And today it's like we can't, you know, go get our concealed handgun license and, and carry around a, a little, you know, pocket pistol or something. And every time we think there's a supernatural attack, we draw down like somebody out of the Old West and start trying to hunt down demons. Because our guns and bullets don't work. Bombs and missiles don't work. Nukes are no good in spiritual warfare. Paul says that God has armed us with different weapons of war and that these weapons have divine power to demolish the strongholds of the supernatural. I want to find out more about my weapons. If you're sitting here today thinking, well, who knew? I didn't know I had weapons. I didn't know I had defensive armor or offensive weaponry. I want to know more about it. Good, because that's where we're going next. We're going to talk about how God has armed us to participate in supernatural spiritual warfare. Paul continues talking about this armament in a different letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus. So if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 6, just a few pages over, a little further into the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10, Paul talks about the armor of God. This is the armor, not that God wears, but that God has provided for you and for me to participate in the supernatural, spiritual war that is waging all around us. Verse 10, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Let's stop for a moment right there. We found out right away that, see, because the Bible hasn't mentioned so far who our enemy really is, right? The Bible hasn't said too much about who that enemy is. Right there he identifies it's the devil, and the devil is scheming against us. He has a battle plan. So it's important that we understand the battle plan so that we can counter that battle plan. We're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come. So we know that right now. The devil is the enemy, and he has a, he has a plan, a battle plan, for he's scheming against us. And God has given us this armor, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, we're not fighting each other, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, he says... Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Man, he says stand three times in a row right there. I think that's an important thing for us to take note of. We're supposed to stand. We're supposed to be strong against this attack. He says strong in the very beginning. Have strength in God, not in ourselves, but in God. Put on the armor and then stand, stand, stand. You can't put your head in the sand, sand, sand. When, you, when God calls us to stand, stand, stand. I just made that up. It rhymed and everything. I love it when that happens. Man, okay. So we've got to stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, Paul says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. God has equipped you and me for battle in the supernatural we're prepared, we're armed to go to war in a world we can't even see. We have supernatural armament 
God has equipped us. He has armed us. But we have to take up those arms. Some of you are unarmed. You didn't know you had armament, so you never put it on. Maybe you knew about the armor of God, but you forget to put it on, to stand each and every day, to take that stand, to find that strength in Him, and to stand against the enemy. It's sometimes just easier to, to slide a little further over to the bury my head in the sand side of the equation, right? If I just pretend, if I just, oh man, man, I just, putting on that armor, I mean, it's like work and it's heavy and I don't want to stand today. I, uh, but be strong, God says. Put the armor on so that you can stand when the enemy attacks. Now, Paul, as he describes this armor, what he's really describing is the, the armor that a Roman soldier would have worn in that time. Now, this Roman soldier's armor would have been a really easy illustration for the people Paul was writing to to understand because they were occupied by the army of Rome. Their territory, their country had been conquered and was occupied by Roman soldiers. They saw Roman soldiers every day. They knew what the armor looked like because they interacted with it every day. I thought about going and getting a set of Roman armor to put on for you today, but they wear like a little mini skirt. And it's, yeah, it's a, so I didn't do it, okay? Uh, but you've probably seen a cartoon or a USC Trojans football game or something along the lines. They would give you some idea of what that Roman armor looks like. Pull that up in your mind so that you don't have the image of me dressed like that in your mind, okay? So just wear that armor in your, or, or see that armor in your mind rather than seeing that armor on me. And we're going to talk about this armor today. We're going to break it down piece by piece and find out how you are equipped, what armor you have, what use it is to you, and how you can... Stand, as Paul says we're to stand. The belt of truth. In Roman armor, the belt was a wide leather belt. This big, wide, heavy leather belt. Guys, if you've lifted weights, ladies, if you've been to the gym and seen the guys lifting like the heavy weights on the squat rack, maybe some of you ladies are like heavy-duty weightlifters, I don't know. It's kind of like maybe that big leather weight belt that you see the big buff guys in the gym wearing. Big, wide leather thing. And this belt served several purposes for the Roman soldier. Number one, it held up his miniskirt, I mean his tunic, when he went to war. Now, that's an important function. Can you imagine going to war with your pants around your ankles? That's funny. You can laugh. I'm, I'm, I, I, no way, man. I don't want to go into battle with... Hold on! Stop! Right? I, who wants to... Go to battle like that. It holds it up. It holds up his tunic. The second thing it does, that wide, heavy leather, gives him a level of protection and a really soft area of the anatomy. Your, your belly, your waist area, there's not a lot going on down there, you know, in the way of defending against and, and absorbing blows. And so it gives you some level of protection. And then the other thing that it does, it's a secure place for that soldier to store his sword. It secures his sword, his weapon, right there on his hip, right there by his side, so that he can draw it quickly and go to work when he needs to. The belt of the Roman soldier and the belt of truth are very similar. The belt of truth in our, in our spiritual armor does a lot of the same things. It helps protect us. The truth of God helps give us some level of protection against these these enemy attackers, right? It, it, it's, it provides some cover for some soft spots in our life. The belt of truth, the truth of, of God, 
If you know the truth, Jesus said the truth will set you free. And when you know the truth, the truth can protect you. It also gives you security. When you know what's true, what's right, and what's wrong, when you know what, what, what God's truth is, which is the only truth, then when somebody comes at you, when the enemy comes at you with a lie, you already have a defense. You already understand truth, untruth. I don't need to deal with untruth. I don't need to get drawn into that. That weapon's not going to work against me. I'm protected against it. I have security in that truth. So the belt of truth provides some of the same things. It provides stability, strength, confidence, security. It gives a lot of things to the believer or to the person who's equipped with the truth of God. The second piece of armor Paul describes is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate in Roman armor was a big metal piece, usually. It would cover pretty much the entire torso, like from the belly button maybe on up to the neck, out over the edges of the shoulders, wrap around on your sides a little bit, strapped in the back with some leather straps. If a soldier didn't have a metal breastplate, usually it was layers of heavy leather. And this breastplate of righteousness, in our case, the breastplate of the Roman soldier in, in that case, it... it it could absorb a lot of, a lot of uh, blows from the enemy. It could take the blow of a club or a sword or maybe even the point of a spear or an arrow fired from a great distance away and defend all the vital organs. That's why it was the heaviest piece, the most durable piece. That breastplate covers the vital organs of the person who wears it. It covers their heart, the very center of their being, the very organ that gives life every time it pumps. It sends life-giving blood and oxygen through the body. It fuels the brain and the muscles. Without a heart, there isn't a life. That breastplate covers the heart. The breastplate of righteousness covers the hearts of those who wear it. Now, the thing about righteousness is this. One's righteousness is not one's own. Your righteousness is not your own. My righteousness is not my own. And the reality is, the only ones who can wear the breastplate of righteousness are those who have submitted their lives to Christ, who have come under His authority and given over control to Him. The Bible says when we follow Jesus, when we choose to, to step out of control of our own lives, give Him control, submit ourselves to Him, and follow Him, that his righteousness, Jesus who lived a, a sinless life, Jesus who died a sacrificial death, his righteousness transfers onto us. Isn't that cool? How many of you would agree? You don't have to raise your hands. You just, you know, agree in your heart. I'm not righteous on my own. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We, we are all messed up, selfish, sinful people. I have no righteousness of my own. The only access I have to righteousness before God is through His Son, Jesus. And if I put on that breastplate of righteousness by submitting my life to Him, by following Him, giving Him control, making Him Lord, leader of my life, Savior of my soul, then I can wear that breastplate, and that breastplate can protect my heart. It does protect my heart. 
when the enemy comes against me with all of his evil schemes and his attacks. The breastplate of righteousness is only available through Jesus. He's the only one who can make you righteous. He said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. No one can be righteous before God without Jesus. The third element of the armor, believe it or not, is footwear. Now who knew what you put on your feet could be so important in warfare or in even spiritual warfare? But, but God talks about this spiritual armor of our foot. He says that, that we need to, to put on the readiness that comes from the gospel of, feet, uh, of peace on our feet. We need to put that on our feet. This, this is like the Roman soldier wore these, these leather sandals. They laced kind of high up on their leg. You've probably seen them. I think they were in style a little while back for ladies, like, you know, the big leather thing that went all around your leg. And, you know. They wore those things. It was like uh, ancient high tops, right? Combat boots of the first century. I don't know. And, and they wore those things because they had to go fight in these fields. The battlefield for a Roman soldier was not, you know, like a golf course. It wasn't like a groomed area. Everything was nice and level and clean and pretty and neat. They fought in the desert. They fought in the woods. They fought in the swamps. They fought all over the place. And there would be thousands and thousands and thousands of men running and clashing and fighting and moving. And they wore these sandals for protection. And it was not uncommon for a Roman soldier to drive iron nails through his sandals to give him better grip. It would be like cleats that our athletes wear today on the soccer field or the football field. It would be like track shoes that those guys wear, you know. Or, or Ty Cobb, when he, you know, back in the old days, sharpened up his cleats on the baseball diamond so he could slide into second and take out the second baseman. It's, it's that kind of stuff. That's what these guys would do. They would drive these nails through so they could grip the ground better, maybe even so they could use their feet as a weapon. I think it probably had more to do with gripping the ground. But as God provides us with armor, he didn't leave out our feet. I think it's interesting that he even thought of that. He gives us this footwear that is the gospel of peace. Isn't it funny that the gospel of peace is part of our armament for war? I thought that was kind of ironic. That God would give us the gospel of peace as part of our armament for war. And when Jesus came, I mean, Jesus is the gospel. It's, the, it's, it's his life is the gospel. Jesus was peaceful. He didn't come like a lot of the Jewish people thought he would come, a conquering hero, a military genius, someone who would come in and, and rout all of, of, the, uh, of Israel's enemies and send the Romans packing and, and defeat them in this glorious battle. He didn't, he didn't come like that. Jesus came in peace. He led a, a peaceful movement. He preached peace. And, and this peace somehow outlived and, and outperformed the war, the, the, the violence of the Romans and all of the others who came against it. Isn't that interesting? So if we take our foundation on peace, we have a better shot at standing for a long time of, of staying in the fight, of defeating our enemy. 
I think the other side of the peace thing is also an interesting thing because we don't just have the gospel of peace in that it is a peaceful truth that, that Jesus was not the military conqueror when he came the first time because he's coming back, and when he comes back, he's going to kick some tail. That's another story. But when he came the first time, that wasn't what he was doing. But he also, as he came in peace, he gave us peace. And if you follow Jesus, if you've given your heart to him, if, if you are a Christian or a Christ follower, then you should experience a peace in your heart that goes beyond anything that you could manufacture or come up with on your own. That is a peace that's beyond your understanding or mine. And I'll tell you the truth. When I have had spiritual warfare in my life, when I've encountered the enemy on his terms sometimes, catches me not looking, when I have to go to war, I have a peace when I'm tied in with the Holy Spirit of God. I have a peace when I let him react and respond on my behalf instead of me trying to do it in my power with my worldly weapons. That peace, man, it makes me a much more effective warrior. When I'm not worried, when I'm not scared, when I'm not, you know, just worked up in emotional anger, when I just have the peace of Christ and fight back out of that position with that firm foundation, things go so, so much better. So God gave us footwear, this foundation of the peace of the gospel of Jesus so that we can fight from a firm position. It's the kind of peace that comes from the inside out. It's a peace that comes from in your heart and goes out into everything in your life instead of a peace that comes from the other things of our world, like we find peace in all kinds of crazy stuff today, right? Do you find peace in, like, sipping chai tea or peace in some kind of music or, you know, yoga or something like that? That's peace that comes from the outside in, and it's temporary. God's peace is permanent. It's a perfect foundation from which we can fight against the attacks of the enemy. The next element of the armor is the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Now, a Roman shield was a big old thing. A Roman soldier could actually kind of duck down and cover his whole body with his shield. Okay? It didn't cover him when he stood, but it was big enough to cover if he knelt down his whole body. It was a big wooden shield, often covered with like a rawhide, you know, like a rawhide dog bone that they chew on, like hard stuff. And it was bolstered around the edges and in the center with iron. There would be like a big iron knob in the middle and then iron trim around the edges that would keep um, enemy swords from sticking in the shield or, or uh, that if they hit that thing in the middle, that big knob in the middle, they would glance off and not do great damage, not poke through. The shield was a great piece of armament for the Roman soldier and you would hardly ever catch a Roman soldier out and about without his shield and certainly never in battle without his shield. He would have been... He would have been really ill-equipped without his shield. Well, so would we be ill-equipped without our shield, our shield of faith. And Paul says that this shield was, was able, you know, we can wield this shield and, and it will put out the fiery arrows, the flaming darts of our enemy. You know, the Roman soldier, when he would go into war, a lot of his enemies would, would use fire as a weapon. They would light arrows, they'd dip them in like pine pitch and tar, and they'd light them on fire and they'd launch those arrows into the Roman ranks. And they learned that if they soaked their shields in water before battle, they could use those shields to catch those arrows. And as the arrow burned down, it encountered the wet shield and it was quenched. It was extinguished. Paul says we can do the same thing. 
Our enemy, the devil, and his, his army, the demons, they fire at us these, these bolts, these arrows, these darts that are flaming, trying to burn us up. This is called temptation. These temptations come flying at us from every angle all the time. I deal with temptation on a daily basis, and I bet you do too. If you're a man, man, we are tempted by so many different things. It's incredible. Men are tempted. I'm just, I'm just going to bust us all, guys. We've talked about this before. Sexual temptation is something that every man deals with on some level, probably every day. Some of you guys may be better than me. <laughs> but it's a daily battle. It's hard to deal with. But you know what? God's given us a shield to deal with it. He's given us the shield of faith to deal with that temptation and more. Some of you just are tempted by food. I don't know what you're talking about. It's not me. I haven't gained 30 pounds in the last five years or anything, you know. So we're tempted by, some of you are tempted by money. You'll do anything to make a buck. Some are tempted by fame. Some are te temptations are, are wide and varied, and, and we all deal with them. Those are the fiery arrows that the enemy is launching at us. Those are some of the weapons in his battle plan that he uses against you and against me. But God equipped us to deal with the fiery, flaming arrows. He gave us the shield of faith. This is faith. Think about faith for a moment. Faith is described as, I want to read this so I don't get it wrong. I, I, I think I know this quote, but then again, you can always trip over yourself. Faith is described as the evidence of things unseen and the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things unseen and the substance, that's a great word, isn't it? Of things hoped for. When I think about that Roman shield, it's something of substance. Our faith is also something of substance. God's given us something of substance to shield ourselves from these fiery arrows of the enemy. It's our faith. Faith in what? Faith, what, what are you talking about? Faith, Todd. Faith that God is real. That the spiritual realm is real. That spiritual warfare and the supernatural is really happening. That we really have these weapons that we can use. Faith that Jesus is who he says he is, God's son. And that he does what he says he'll do. Save us from our sins, or at least from the consequence of them. I told you a minute ago, I've dealt with spiritual warfare. I, I believe there are times in my life where I've, I've absolutely been attacked by the devil or by his demons, and I've dealt with these spiritual battles, and I have faith that that supernatural world exists and is real and impacts my life. Not a blind faith, but a faith based on evidence. I can't prove it. I couldn't see it. Can't touch it. Can't draw you a diagram. I can tell you all about it. And the evidence is there. And because of that evidence, I have faith not only that that supernatural realm exists, but that God is part of it. That is part of his plan. He has a plan for me within that. And that he's armed and equipped me to deal with it. That shield of faith. To know that I've been attacked, but also that I've been provided for and protected. Has served me so well. When I remember to raise it when I remember to carry my armor into battle with me on a daily basis, when I remember to stand firm and wield the shield. Otherwise, those fiery darts get through. And I don't have to describe to you what happens when a flaming arrow 
pierces your person. That wouldn't be fun. But that's exactly what the enemy has on his mind. That's exactly what he has in store for you and me when we are unarmed, when we are without our shield, when we don't put on this armor of God. The shield of faith is followed by the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. I don't know if I need to describe what a helmet does. Most of you are pretty smart people. For Jim's sake, I'll explain it. So the helmet, right? I think Jim played football without one of these, and so that's what. Now, Jim, I'm sorry, brother. I love you, man. I'm sorry. I'm picking on you. It's really for my own benefit that I have to explain it, okay? But you put on the helmet as a Roman soldier to protect your brain from the enemy who would like to club you over the head, who would like to hit you with a big battle axe or a broadsword and cleave your brain. You have a left brain and a right brain. They would like to prove that to you physically, right? They want to cut your head in half and separate your brain. Right? I mean, that's warfare. No sugar coating, nothing pretty about it. Well, the, the helmet that, that God has given us, the helmet of salvation, protects our brain, just like the Roman soldier's helmet protected his brain. But the enemy, the devil, doesn't want to cleave our brain in half physically. He wants to divide your mind in a spiritual way. He wants to divide your mind and mess up your understanding or your ability to even think about or grasp the things of God. A divided mind is what gave me the ability as a teenager to acknowledge God with my mouth and then deny Him with my life. I could pray at night. Now, if you heard those prayers, they were very selfish, self-centered, all about me. God, make me this. God, make me that. God, you know, I want to be rich. God, I want to be a better football player. God, 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 God. It was all about me, but I prayed to God, and then I lived a life that was just ridiculously without God, denied Him. I had a divided mind. See, here's the deal about the helmet of salvation. It's a lot like the breastplate of righteousness and the fact that it is only available to those who have been Saved, hence the helmet of salvation. Saved is just a religious word that we use today in the church for describing someone who has given their life to Christ, submitted their will to Him. Because when we do that, the Bible says we are saved from the consequences of our sins, which those consequences are eternity without God. We call it hell. That's the consequence. The wages of sin is death. It means a spiritual death, eternal death, which is existing eternally without God. So the helmet of salvation is only available to those who are saved, who have submitted their lives to Christ, given themselves over to Him, made Him their Lord and their Savior, hence salvation. And that helmet is what protects our minds from being divided by the enemy. So think about this. No salvation... No helmet, no helmet, no protection, no protection, divided mind. It was only when I heard the gospel as a 20 or 21-year-old man, I, I think I was 21, to think about what year that was, 
when I heard it and finally understood it, because I'm sure I had heard the truth about Jesus before, but because of my divided mind, I couldn't process it. I don't know what changed that day. I think the Holy Spirit intervened on my behalf and shielded me because I didn't have a helmet. And I heard it and I got it. And when I got it, I made a decision about what to do with the gospel. My decision with the gospel was this. I adopted it into my life. I heard Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to live the life you want here and to live eternally with God. There are only two options. The other one ain't good. All I, really, all I opted for on that day was fire insurance. That's it, man. I just didn't want to burn. So I figured I better turn. That was it. And I turned my life over to him. And he put that helmet on. And as my mind was protected against being divided, I began to understand more and more. And I began to love Jesus more and more. To follow him more and more. Now my salvation was complete without my changing how I acted. I changed how I acted because my salvation was complete. Folks, this armor is crucial. It's, it's critical to our defense. You can't defend yourself against the attacks of the enemy without all of the pieces. The breastplate, the helmet, the shoes, the whole bit. But it's not just about defense. God also gave us a weapon of offense, something that we can take the attack to the enemy. And the attack weapon that we have is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Bible. This is our offensive weapon for spiritual warfare. And I believe firmly that if you come under attack, if you come under spiritual attack, you are equipped and I believe expected to attack back. God wouldn't have given you a sword if he didn't want you to attack back. When the enemy comes at you, wield the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You attack back. The best defense is a great offense. That's the best defense in the world is a great offense. If you're militarily strong in the spirit, if you're militarily strong and prepared to deal with the attacks of the enemy, if you can take the attack back to him, he's going to think twice before he comes against you. You've got to learn how to wield the sword. The problem that most of us have, Christians, non-Christians, doesn't matter. Number one, we don't even realize that we have a sword at our disposal. Number two, those of us who do, many times it's rusted and dull from, from lack of use. We don't understand the power that this sword contains. Remember, Paul described it as having the ability to destroy, to demolish. When we wield this sword, we wield something infinitely more powerful than ourselves, infinitely more powerful than any weapon that has ever been conceived or designed or made by man. This is potent stuff. Because the, the power of this weapon is so strong, though, it comes with one restriction. We're never to wield this weapon outside of spiritual warfare. In other words, we can't use this as a weapon against each other. The Bible says that we should not use it as a sword against our fellow man. It's useful to teach and to train, to rebuke. It's useful for all of that. But it's not useful as a weapon. I can't come against you and say, well, the Bible says this and the Bible says that, and you've got to do that. That's a weapon. That's a sword. I'm attacking you. If I tell you the truth in love, training, teaching, rebuking, yes. Attacking you with the Word of God, no. Attacking the enemy 
in the spiritual realm with the Word of God? Yes, that is what this weapon was designed for. Here's how this weapon works. When Satan tempted Jesus, after Jesus had fasted for 40 days in the desert, he's out in the wilderness, total fast, 40 days, 40 nights. The enemy comes against him and tries to draw uh, Jesus off sides, which, by the way, I think is kind of a fool's mission, but that's another, you know, it's, wow, what, coming against Jesus. Okay, but that's what the devil does. He even tried to draw Jesus into sin. And every time he attacked, for every flaming arrow that he fired, for every swipe of his sword, every angle he tried to attack Jesus from, Jesus' answer was this, It is written. He knew the scriptures inside and out, forwards and backwards. He understood what God has to say. He had the belt of truth buckled around his waist. He had the breastplate of righteousness on. His shoes were fitted with the gospel of peace. His helmet of salvation was in place, and he wielded the sword of the Spirit with incredible accuracy, and he drove the devil away. He defeated him in that battle. And one day, Jesus is going to return and defeat that devil, that enemy, in the war, and the war is going to end. And he's going to do it because he knows how to wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Jesus is even described as the Word. Himself, the Word of God, the sword. And when he comes back, which is described in Revelation, and he defeats Satan permanently, eternally, he's the sword. He is the conquering military hero. And all of us, are going to see that day, all of us, whether we are followers of Jesus or not. Because that day is going to come, and, and whether we're dead, alive, followers of Jesus or not, we're going to see him defeat. And the Bible says every knee will bow, and every mouth will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The day is going to come. We can be prepared spiritually. We can be ready and have received Jesus. Or we can be on the other side of that equation. The reality that I want you to leave here with today is simple. There's more to this life than you can see. It's all around you. It's right in front of you. You can't always blame everything, but you can sometimes know that some things are the attacks of the enemy. Blake, our resident Marine, has been sitting here the entire time in front of your eyes. Some of you might have picked him off. You snipers in training, I don't know. But that's what it's like with the spiritual realm. It's right in front of your eyes. You may not see it, but it's real, and it's relevant to your life. It matters. I hope you take that home with you today, and I hope you bring it back with you for the next several weeks as we dive further in and discuss the reality and the relevance of the supernatural.